Computer, play me a podcast. Parameters. Star Trek The Next Generation. Time period, early 21st century. Program loaded. Green Shirt, a newbie's trek through the next generation. With your hosts, Cameron. How does the holodeck work? Marcy. Guys, it looks like a dildo. And Rob. I think a lot of the things in the show, yeah, not bad. This week's episode... The best of both worlds. I finally was like, I can't handle it. I need to get out of the Portland area. And we just did a one night trip out to the coast to Florence, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And we decided to do the John Dellenbach Trail, which is this trail over some dunes that then end at the ocean. And I just thought in my mind, I don't know, I just thought they'd be these dinky little dunes with like a few tufts and things, and then you'd get out to the ocean. Mm -hmm. But it was literally like I was in dune. Like, (laughs) we come through the... Did did you walk without rhythm? Yes, I did. Oh, good. Okay. So no no worms attracted. (laughs) And I was like looking for some, the Quizax Hatterack... (laughs) <laughs> but it was it was crazy how amazing it was. And it was a like, I don't know. I think everybody in the world now is very depressed, probably, or at least not feeling at their best because of a lot of the stuff that's been going on. But I just felt so rejuvenated by like walking through this amazing like un- this landscape that I didn't expect to be in Oregon, which you think of as this like rainforest state right Mm -hmm. and then like i got back and i was like man do i i have to return home like can i buy a house out here and like always go to the dunes because it was that amazing and then you remembered all your recording equipment was in portland so you had to come back for (laughs) green shirt Mm -hmm. yeah that's right that's right (laughs) but anyway so if you have the opportunity to like try to get out somewhere there wasn't a lot of people on the trail because we left early you know give yourself a little bit of a brain break I mean, I know we all here support Black Lives Matter, but it's also important to just take a moment for yourself to recenter. Well, welcome everyone to the season three finale of Green Shirt. I am Cameron, who is no longer afraid of sitting in the big chair (laughs) to watch The Next Generation. And uh, here with me, I've got a whole slew of number ones all getting in each other's ways to curry my favor. We have the Kyle Reese to my John Connor, Rob. I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> the Willow to my Buffy, Marcy. Willow! <laughs> oh, wrong also Willow. wrong? <laughs> I used to type, and now I shoot spells and become a crazy demon's witch. That's the, that's the right Willow. Yeah, yeah. And the Maria Hill to my Nicholas P. Fury. We've got guest host Liz in the seat today. <laughs> Hello. I am jazzed to be here. Is everybody wearing bottoms, by the way? Because, Mm-mm, you know, nope. it's, no. it's a Zoom call, so. You're lucky I've got a top on. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of man titties being shown on the Zoom screen that's right, right now. That's right. <laughs> Well, this week we watched part one of The Best of Both Worlds, an episode where I really feel that the, you know, benevolent God being from last episode would have been really helpful. So you should have locked that shit down when you had a chance, Beverly. Gotten him (laughs) on the crew. Yeah. Get Space Jesus up in here. Maybe things would have gone a little differently for everyone. 
Yeah, that's a good call. They should get one of them on staff. And they never show up when they're actually needed, only to be <laughs> annoying. <laughs> yeah, this is a, I mean, classic episode. Everybody that knows, except my wife doesn't. I was like, hey, I'm watching that great episode. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, I thought everybody, <laughs> you knew one thing about TNG. I figured it was like that Picard becomes a bore. She's like, who's Picard? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, we enter, of course, with a distress signal. Jore 4. Yes. And right off the bat, things are tense. The music is tense. Even Picard's uh, captain's log feels like especially just uh, clipped. Yeah, well, like the teleporter room, I feel is like a little darker than it normally is when they go in there. And like, mm. O'Brien's here, so we know some shit is going to go down. Like He knew this was important, so he put the dimmer down a little bit on the lights. <laughs> Yeah, he's like creating the mood. And so it's like, what, Worf, Jordy, Data, and Riker transport down to... To the center of town. Yeah, yeah uh, well... The crater on the center of town. Yeah. That is not the center... Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. They're on the outskirts of town, O'Brien. <laughs> well, the crater. You got not that completely town. backwards. Oh, I assume it is. They knock down the buildings, and then there's a crater next to the center of town. I, I got the impression the Borg just scooped things out. So they scooped out town. But it didn't look like there were any foundations where they were standing. Hmm. Yeah, they were like on rocks and grass and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there's still concrete with rebar in the future. Because <laughs> <laughs> the scene of the crater in the foreground. Yeah, you see the in the foreground, there's actually like pavement with like rebar sticking up. Little mm-hmm. suspension of disbelief. Yeah. yeah. Does the Enterprise not have Google Maps? How are they surprised by this? <laughs> Like, we've heard them be able to, like, spot, like, buildings and stuff before with their sensors. It it just goes back to, I guess, Pulaski was right. Data doesn't know how to operate that. Because we know you could zoom in 10,000 times, just point the ship at the planet and increase, like Pulaski said. Well, it wouldn't have been as dramatic, Cameron, if we didn't have that scene. You need the crater. The crater sets the mood. Absolutely. (laughs) You can see it on the screen anyway. The matte paintings are getting better. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, it felt like we were in Ireland or something until oh. they like panned to the crater. Not a lot of craters in Ireland. No. But it's fucked up. You're like, somebody just destroyed a whole colony. I mean, I know we've seen it before, but this well, is... Well, not like that. We heard them talk about that a lot at the right. end of season one. So yeah, we finally get to see an actual uh, Borg. The aftermath. The crater. Right. Thank you, Liz. Yes. This is why you need the crater. <laughs> and this was one of our quickest cold opens yet. <laughs> now you can't waste time in an episode where you turn the captain into a boar. You got to what, what? get going. Spoiler alert, Marcy. <laughs> Cam- Jeez. Cameron thought it was over when they showed the big ditch. He's like, oh, oh that's <laughs> the end of the episode. They- yeah, right? <laughs> so then the big brass beam on board uh, to bang out a battle plan for the beckoning Borg blitz. <laughs> we get Admiral Hansen. That's not how you pronounce it. He's uh, George Murdoch. He's in 198 things, so I'm just going to give the uh, known for. First mm-hmm. off, known for Star Trek V, playing God. Oh! Whoa. What does he need with a starship? <laughs> he's known as God, and then followed up, uh, the second thing he's known for is Orange County, the Jack Black, uh, Tom Hanks' son movie. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that one. From God to that. Uh, X-Files as second elder. Mm. Some Torchwood and some... Uh, God, he's in so many things. <laughs> is he in the Dukes of Hazzard? Um, he doesn't need to be in the Dukes of Hazard. He's already God. He needs to be in the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> well, only because, like, once again, 
he just he does not look like an admiral to me. He looks like he should be running around chasing after the Duke boys. Like. I like him. So when Ian walked in on me, I was making my notes for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not say that correctly. Um, <laughs> no, I think you said that perfectly, Liz. I was like, when Ian walked um, in with me masturbating to the cutest. <laughs> <laughs> when I was making my notes for this episode, uh, Ian walked in the room during this scene and he goes, Oh, I really like that admirals get glitter lines on their uniforms. They sure do. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Dukes of Hazard, Big Jim Downey, one episode. 19- I knew it. 1979. I big knew Jim. It. He's big. He Jim. looks like a big Jim to me. I like him as a cat. <laughs> I like him as a Starfleet admiral. I like him as an admiral. I think he's pretty good. I don't know. I couldn't get past the one line where. <laughs> oh, I know. He was like so gross. Yes, it's so disgusting. Like, why can't you just be a mentor? Why do you have to bring sex into like every male-female relationship? Keep your eye on her, Jean-Luc. She's one very impressive young lady. You seem rather taken with her, JP. Just an old man's fantasies. What? Why can't you just (laughs) admire a woman who's good at her job? Like, God. I mean, I don't want to shame human sexuality. Look, we're all attracted to pretty people. I I get it. But yeah, you know, he just... He just so casually drops it when I didn't even think that's what Picard was hinting at. And I don't think that is what Picard was hinting at. And then Picard just ignores it. He's like, (laughs) all right, let's move on. (laughs) Yep. It was such a strange moment in an otherwise like really good episode that I was like, well, now I can't take this Admiral like seriously at all. (laughs) Like, anyway, I mean, that was just a moment and the Admiral really isn't in it that Mm -hmm. much more anyway. And oh, he gets the fuck out of Dodge. He says, we're in Borg territory. I, I got to go back to the other admiral. So, you know, I got to run this from back there. Yeah. I do think that comment he makes, though, is uh, a good representation of something that, like, like when you're a kid and you're watching this episode, you're really only picking up on, like, the Borg aspect of it. And, like, as you age and you start watching this episode as an adult, you start picking up on kind of more of the greater themes of the episode. So, you know, you're engaging more with, like, the story of Riker's career choices, the story of Shelby, particularly, and, like, the sexism that she's facing in, like, a, a supposedly enlightened work environment. That It's not really a throwaway comment because it's kind of part of a larger pattern of sex- sexism that Shelby is up against, so. Yeah, I, I mean, when I was watching it, I was like, I wonder... If you would feel different about this character if she was a man, like if would Riker be reacting to her in the same ways that he does if he was a male character who was like challenging him? Like, I'm not sure if that was like written in on purpose. Like, I get that they're trying to make it just that she's too up and coming. But Riker was basically the same character and everybody loves him. I feel like everyone kind of likes her and digs her except Riker. I feel they all treat her the same way they treated Riker in the first episode. And Riker doesn't like her because he sees himself. For his obvious reasons, yeah. Although there is the moment where he invites the captain to poker, which, A, read the fucking room, Riker. The Borg are in the neighborhood and you're all talking about poker that night. But then the Admiral suggests Shelby join and Riker gives her a look like, shit, that's not why I bring women to my room. <laughs> 
Well, and that's like the interesting thing. She doesn't, I mean, she interacts with the other crew, but she doesn't have any, a lot of conversations on screen with the other crew. They're no, like standing together, but like she's giving them orders or she's talking to Riker. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I thought was interesting is she is very much way overstepping her bounds with some of like the commanding parts because he's mm-hmm. got three pips and she mm-hmm. has two and a half pips like well here's here's the thing about shelby i really want to talk about shelby because shelby's really cool so i really want to just point out here that like the show has shelby in it basically as a foil for Riker, right i mean well and she's the borgologist well she's the borgologist but you know you could have you could have had jordy do that or what whoever you know the point that i'm trying to make here is that the show brings her in as this, like, this force that's pushing on Riker to make a career mm-hmm. decision. But at the same time, she is portrayed as just this ambitious woman that, like, doesn't care what you think about what she's doing in her career. She's just going to go do it because she's highly competent at it. She is, as you say, the Borgologist. Um, Trademark me. <laughs> show kind of treats her like... Um, She's only there to advance Riker's story, but I think she has her own story going on, you know? I I loved her character. I loved the acting, the actor, which I'm sure Rob is eager to get into. But yeah, I mean, I, she also came across, I mean, the, definitely her career ambition is a big part of it. And as you say, like the point for Riker's arc. But I mean, she came off as incredibly competent and it feels like they made it as far against the Borg as they did because of her. Right. Well, and at various points in the episode, you're seeing this like push pull between people that want to like, you know, reel her in a bit and people that are advocating for her and saying like, no, she actually knows what she's doing. I love the idea that like before the past year, like the Federation has had like a brain trust of people trying to figure out what to do when the Borg actually show up. So it was kind of a nice little window into what's been happening in another part of the galaxy since yeah, they've last seen true. the Borg. I feel like Riker is really the only, the main one that's fighting her. I think like Data just went down with her an hour early. And didn't think, <laughs> yeah, he didn't you know, give and a like, shit. And then she makes orders on the bridge that nobody questions. Yeah, it looks like Picard is like ready for her to be number one. Right. I'll tell you about that actress. Yeah. Who is the Shelby? Elizabeth Dennehy. No relation to Brian Dennehy, I don't think. <laughs> Started back in 1988 with the... Uh, soap opera Guiding Light. She's in Total Recall as Renata. She's mm. uncredited. Worked with Ensign Gomez, the three-titted lady. Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm not going <laughs> to reveal how many episodes of Next Gen she's in because I don't want to ruin it for Cameron. To... I hope she's in at least two because it would be pretty terrible if she just oh. isn't she's... mentioned in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some Quantum Leap, uh, Seinfeld, Little Red Dragon, the you know the Hannibal Lecter movie. <laughs> I thought the title was Little Red Dragon. <laughs> Oh, no, no, not Little Red Dragon. She's in, yeah. And then the game, and she's still making stuff. Definitely one of the better guest actors I think we've had. So here we find out that Riker has been offered a promotion. He's been given the chance to captain the Melbourne. And does he take it? No. That's right. And he probably would have, you know, he's probably holding out for the Brisbane, maybe the Perth. Uh, uh, Opera. <laughs> Kangaroo. That'd be awesome if there's like a totally Australian like crew and they like come on them and it's like, I'm from down under. That's not a phaser. Our replicators only make Vegemite. Um, you can be on the USS Dundee. <laughs> yes. This is a uh, touchy subject for Riker when 
Shelby brings it up. Job. Which job? Yours, of course. <laughs> I like how happy she is in that moment, too. Like, when she's asking him, like, how's the Enterprise? Like, give me the deets. Like, I'm totally going to take over your job. And she's like, <laughs> oh, wait, you don't want to be a captain? What the fuck? <laughs> I, I felt sorry for her at that moment because it was definitely, yeah, a situation where she was like, he's going to, like, be my mentor. He's going to tell me what it's like. He's totally going to support me in this yeah. new job I'm aiming for. Oh, Oh, I, I totally misread the situation. Oh, shit. Right. And yet, I think, I know Riker gets, like, he's kind of, I think he's a little bit cheery this episode. Like, I don't, I know he gets, uh, he gets, he has to discipline, but I, I don't know, I feel like he's smiling. And, like, after that weird misstep that she says, like, he's like, hey, come play poker with us. Like, I don't know. I, I thought Riker wasn't a total uh, whiny baby as usual. No, I I think they liked it. I mean, he liked that she was a reminder of him. Mm-hmm. And so he was more like he respected her. Yeah, I got right. the feeling he was doing like not just not trying to stymie her career, but rather trying to help shape her by being kind of a little tough on her. Right. But definitely the question of his promotion is an open wound. I, I don't know. I don't think he was too cheery when he invited her to his room because he's invited a lot of ladies to his quarters over but the years. But he turned on his he had a big that smile. That was a his pretty. Charm. He turned on his charming I, smile. I don't know if he had a smile in that scene. He did. He did. It was it was weird. Check it mm-hmm. out. I've watched the episode twice, Rob. I <laughs> noticed a smile. <laughs> That's his like only note, Cameron. Let him have it. <laughs> I wrote, he is smiling. I wrote it. You know, I have one page of notes. It says smile. <laughs> All the way down. <laughs> it's like a scene from The Shining over there in yeah. his notebook. <laughs> the poker, we've swapped out O'Brien for Shelby and Wesley. And Wesley, poor Wesley for his first time. Data, what the fuck, man? It's okay to like, for Wesley to kind of guess what cards you have. Back off. No, he's teaching him that you're not supposed to do that. I mean, they're giving him, he's, you know, he's doing the rookie mistakes. You got to teach him what to do. That, but that's not a rookie mistake. You're totally allowed to kind of uh, well, needle man, the other players. Let's take it back a minute and think about okay. the very first time Data had to do this and he was counting <laughs> cards and Jordy mm-hmm. told him that he couldn't do that. And then ah. also they had the, almost the exact same hand against Riker's bluff. So like Oh really? That's why Data's like, he could be bluffing because that's the exact <laughs> same scene from way back when when he oh. lost to Riker. I don't know. Wesley Wesley looked pretty uncomfortable. I felt bad for him. Oh yeah, totally. See, what I wrote about this <laughs> was Wesley is at poker too and is out of his league. LaForge <laughs> is mad at him about it. <laughs> <laughs> So the next morning, they beam down to the planet as planned. Well, not as planned. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. She's asked him twice. So she wanted to go down immediately. And he's like, it's dark down there. Again, do we not have lights? Also, you're going to be scanning in a spectrum that's not even require lights. So she could have gone down last night. Jordy down there. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. They should have stumbled around that broken giant (laughs) ditch in the pitch black. That would have been great. They have okay, like Riker. a giant ship and stuff to like create lights. I just don't understand like the future where when it's nighttime, <laughs> you can't do an important mission where there's going to be Borg coming down on your head that are going to murder all of humanity. What? It's the 24th century. We can't do things in the dark. Okay. Let's play some fucking poker. Okay. <laughs> that's what it was. He did not want his poker night to be <laughs> yeah, interrupted. Yeah, that's right. He didn't. I know humanity's going down, but I need to win this $200, you guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, ah, data. Data. <laughs> Do you really not know what the early bird gets the worm means? He really doesn't. This is possibly the most common idiom in the English language. 
maybe second to slap my ass and call me Shirley. But I mean, it's pretty common. Yeah, I noticed that. Bumped on that. I think he actually heard it in an earlier episode, too. <laughs> One other time. <laughs> probably. I was going to say, like, that's probably a Shakespeare work or something. I don't know. It's a pretty old saying. I kind of like this interaction between Jordy and Data, though, too, because Jordy's like, she's getting a dressing down. She's in trouble. So much uh, gossip going on on this shit. Scuttle butt down on that. Oh, I know. But I do love how she plays Riker. (laughs) She learned something from Poker Night, kept an ace in her back pocket. It's like, oh, oh, you mad I broke rank, bro? Well, guess what? That's not so important when there's (gasps) Borg around. Look (laughs) what I found out. Well, yeah. She's not wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Riker can't say shit then. It's like he's got more important shit to deal with at that point. Right. It's like. You want to keep giving me a dressing down or do you want to know the fucking information? Because I got it. I mean, she could have, you know, said, hey, we're going down an hour early to anybody. But yeah. I know. I also I like how like Data is just like, sure, whatever. I don't care. Right. I know Data <laughs> should have followed protocol probably. It really makes sense that he wouldn't. That's a question. Is Data the same rank as her? On this particular project, though, I think she's been given special. Yeah. You know, authority. Special authority. She's the Borgologist. She's the Borgologist. That's right, Liz. We're going to make this a thing. Trademark. You and me. So she recognizes that same Borg footprint. I guess that giant crater is what a Borg footprint looks like. That's right. She notices it's the same one as the previous attack. It's at this point in the show that I realize that I, while I remember uh, three things from this episode, I do not remember these episodes from all those years ago when they aired and I watched them. <laughs> I Yeah. That was I a think, long time ago. You've been through uh, a lot. That's true. And I'm really dumb. <laughs> and you're not the brightest man. Right. <laughs> Is this the Picard and Riker where Picard tells him he'll be fine? The Enterprise will be fine without you. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, so they're talking about Shelby for a while, and then Picard brings up another subject. What the hell are you still doing here, sir? I love that in that moment, Riker's like, oh, shit, are you sundowning again? <laughs> you haven't dismissed me yet. That's why I'm still, uh, oh, the bigger here. Well, it is interesting how much, like, Picard is just delegating all of the decisions to the second-in-command. And I did read a little bit about how originally, you know, obviously there's the things that happen with Picard, but mm-hmm. halfway through making it, they realized that it was a Riker episode more than it was a Picard episode, even though Picard has this crazy thing happen to him. Mm-hmm. So I think... That's what makes the episode work so well. Is yeah, I mean, it's the right choice. Like, if you're going to have Picard be uh, Captain Napped, like, Riker's going to have to assume captainship, and that seems like a, a good opportunity to uh, deal with this arc of his. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also about their relationship as, you know, commanding officer and commander, I guess, mm-hmm. and also just as people. Yeah, Picard wants to see his little number one grow up mm-hmm. to a big number one. Yeah, wouldn't you be like... I just, even thinking about it makes me tear up, like, imagining Picard seeing Riker as another captain. I'd be so proud as, like, the person that helped someone get to that place. They say the measure of a leader isn't how many followers they have, it's how many leaders they create. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That all making me teary-eyed. <laughs> so Riker talks to Troy. Yeah, so... I do love the next scene because it, it does kind of feel a little bit like the writers talking to themselves like, what is he still doing here? We created this very ambitious character, but obviously we can't have him leave the show. Why is he still on the show? 
Because the other ships are lame. It's funny that you say that, Cam. I'm not sure if you read about this episode. I, I did not. I made a point not to read anything about this really, episode. Really? Because yeah. you're basically writing exactly what I read about this episode, <laughs> which is the writer was thinking of leaving the show himself. Oh. And so it was kind of like his feelings of why am I staying here and why am I going to continue on and like that's... Riker's story is kind of the writer's story of deciding not to leave Star Trek. It's a parallel. Oh, that's very interesting. Da, da, so da, da, meta. Da, da. Yeah. <laughs> like Riker not taking this promotion it led me to think uh, wonder I have a question have you guys ever uh, either mm. had a promotion that you did not want to take or taken one and regretted it because I do. Mm. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'll start. Um, uh, when I worked at the Boiler Room karaoke bar mm-hmm. a really a fun job that I had for many many years uh, and when the owner started a second bar I kind of got promoted to like a manager position and I wasn't running karaoke which means I wasn't making tips which means I made a lot less money for more you know more stress of having to like kick more people out and, and mm-hmm. handle those things so I eventually talked my way back down to a demotion I'm like hey I really want <laughs> don't want to be manager anymore and I got uh, demoted back to KJ so the restaurant industry is very much like that too uh, I, I mean I've definitely you know, managers have kind of talked about maybe promoting me and getting me on a managerial path. And I always, I never outright rejected it, but I was always like, yeah, maybe let, let's talk about that later. And just kind of always try to uh, sidestep it. Uh, a, because yes, you make a lot more money waiting tables and you don't have to deal with everyone's shit. And B, because I never really wanted to, uh, I was like, if I, they start me down that path, I'm going to be fucking running restaurants till I'm 80. And I do not want that. Right. So I became an occupational therapist. Ooh, I guess it was like six years now I've been doing this. And they had this promotion of being an assistant rehab director. And I was like, okay, great. So what comes along with that? Well, I don't even think they got like a raise. And you didn't get any special productivity changes. So you had the same productivity standards. And a shit ton more work where you had to, like, schedule people and be available on the weekend to do that and, like, do all these other things. And they're like, that way you can be on the track to becoming a rehab director where you might get some of those, like, productivity benefits and things. Of, I mean, how – I can't even imagine how somebody would be able to do all that extra work plus treat patients and not get any benefit from it. So I was like, fuck no, because they kept like talking to me about it. And I was like, do I get productivity standard changes? Do I get any benefit from this? No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you can't make me do this. Yeah. <laughs> but people would get like roped into it because they'd feel guilty. And I was like, you shouldn't be doing it unless they're giving, <laughs> they're giving you something for it. You have a bunch more responsibilities and no, no benefit. Mm-hmm. Liz, I want to promote you to um, Cameron's position in this podcast. So what you, <laughs> yes or no? Answer right now. I'm in. Oh, sweet. Bye, Cameron. You're going to have to forget everything you know about the next generation. Right. Wouldn't mind wiping. I don't think she could do it. <laughs> well, we'd have to get Pulaski in here for the Pulaski. That's viewer. right. <laughs> <laughs> so here's uh, some of that scene between Diana and Raika. You mean you're older, more experienced, a little more... Seasoned. <laughs> Seasoned. It's a horrible thing to say to a man. Especially if you're a cannibal. I don't think you've lost a thing. And I think you've gained more than you realize. You're much more comfortable with yourself than you used to be. Maybe that's the problem. I'm too comfortable here. Is it? Is it like a bad thing to call a man seasoned? I don't know. I, I don't wrong? know. 
I mean, apparently it says maybe that says something about Riker that he doesn't like being called that. I, it, more, normal people don't care. I do think it's interesting that Riker's got everybody's got their like wisdom person. Like Riker's got Deanna giving him his wisdom, and Picard has Guinan always giving him the wisdom. But the interesting thing I noticed, like Deanna doesn't have a lot of scenes in this episode. Is there's a like later a very pivotal scene where she actually calls him Commander Riker, which mm-hmm. even on the bridge I don't feel like she calls him Commander Riker until no, she calls that. Him Will. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Well, she is reminding him of his place. I right. do, but I do kind of love just this idea because they don't really address it much, just in a roundabout way with all these scenes. But that Riker got this promotion. He got some notification that you know if he wants this ship, he can take it. He doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't respond to it. He's just like leaving it there with like the little notify flag in his email. Yeah, he goes Starfleet. That's like yeah, kind of a badass Starfleet. move. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that also shows. I mean, it also kind of reveals more about him and how he's like it's how very badly he's, of him as Rob. He's say. handling the the decision badly. You know, like he it must be really weighing on him. Or he's just so in love with Picard and the Enterprise that he never wants to leave. Or my alternate theory, if this whole episode was a long con for Riker to get the Enterprise, he's been waiting for this ship and he knew that he could get the Borg to kidnap Picard and then he could destroy the ship with Picard on it and that goddamn chair would be his. He emailed the Borg. You know I'm not supposed to spoil the second half for you, Cam. (laughs) Oh, that was okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So in the next scene, Riker wants everyone to go to bed. It's the yep. nerd squad, plus Shelby, plus Riker, plus two total randos. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't notice them in the background being like, we are way out of our depth here. Yeah, nerd squad. Wow. We're like <laughs> on the nerd squad now, apparently. I did really love that she was like running nerd squad and nerd squad is usually like super intense with each other. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm taking over nerd squad. And they're like, I'm tired. And she's like, no, we're going to stay up. And I do think it's funny that Riker's like, everybody go to bed. I'm your daddy. <laughs> That's well, I, I totally like was relating with him just last night. I was like, look, Rebel, I don't care if baby Yoda stuffy doesn't need to sleep. You need to sleep because I don't want you to be cranky tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jordy's mind was clay. I think they were all maybe they didn't uh, uh, really elucidate their how tired they all were. They should have all been clearly at the end of their ropes, but only Jordy has one throwaway line about how he can't think anymore. And yeah, sleeping is important. And I think they probably were not going to get much more. It sounded like they were probably at it for a long time and not getting much more out of it. So time for bed. I mean, that's a that's a great point, Rob, because I, I did feel like in this scene that Riker was being a dick. I was like, come on, Riker. But if we had seen if, if they had more illuminated like Wesley and Jordy, like about to fall asleep on their feet, that would have changed the whole like underlying. I mean, Jordy said it, but nobody really was showing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and Liz, I don't know if you feel this way. This was one of the scenes that I felt like had the sexist undertones, like sending the one woman in the room to bed. And she was like the only one that left in that moment, too. Like nobody else, like the whole room didn't clear to go back to bed. She's just like, I I felt like it was very focused on her. And I don't know if you noticed this, but as she leaves, the boys are sort of like eye rolling at each other a little bit. Well, and then that scene, like, we've never once had anybody talk about being tired and needing to go to bed. Jordy was two episodes ago. (laughs) 
Remember they ordered Jordy to go to bed and he woke up because he, dre- he dreamed the solution to their problem? Like, oh, that's right. That's oh, yeah, right. Good, yeah. good, good yeah. pull, I was, I, Yeah, I thought that I was like, oh, yeah, this seems like something they do. Yeah, I had a slightly different read on the scene because I, I definitely felt like Wesley and Jordy were all about Shelby. I thought they enjoyed oh, no, they, working with they her. They do advocate I think that, I think the eye roll but... was more like, mommy and daddy are fighting again. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, that could be true, too. But, you know, I, I think that Riker in particular is, it, it's like she's a thorn in his side, you know? And, uh, yeah. like, yeah, he's, no, but he's, me he's and not Cameron, hiding that well. <laughs> me and Cameron yeah. watched it with, like, thinking, like, hashtag not all men. So, yeah. You know. So, yeah, we, we watched it with our man eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's tell, let us, let us explain it to you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that, like, there's not lots of reasons why it's also like good that they're showing this strong female character that I think we can relate to trying mm-hmm. to be ambitious. But I do feel like there's certain scenes where I'm like with Liz where I was like, eh, that could have been a little different. <laughs> right. I did love her. I, I did love her ice cold glare at Riker, though. She was oh, that one on the bridge? That was one so of the, good. No, that, that was, was so here in the engineering. When she when she leaves to go to bed. Oh, there's a scene in Brit on the bridge. Oh, we'll get there, Marcy. I have a yeah, whole yeah. bit about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't spoil it. Then. The the nerd squad. I like that the nerd squad just like determined that they really have to destroy over seventy eight percent of the Borg ship to have it not recover. That's a yeah. lot of Borg ship to to destroy. That yeah. is a lot of you know. Shit. That's a big it's obstacle. A shit, you know? It's a huge. Shit. How many licks to get to the center of the Borg pop? <laughs> Imagine like the entirety of Starfleet would have to like, you know, hundreds of ships firing at it at once or something, you know, like that's what I want to see in next episode. I want to see all the starships show up. Yeah, we'll see. I will see. So Admiral uh, Stinky Dick showed up because the USS Lalo is now the USS Borgano. Yeah, no, no, no more Lalo. So this is the point, even though I've seen this episode many times where I start getting nervous again. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I'm like, I think this is the best aspect of this episode is the creeping dread that yeah. it gets across. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's part like just the episode opening with such tension. But yeah, it all kind of builds up. It really starts snowballing here. Right. Where like the crew, it feels like they all are expecting to die soon. Right. Like, Even that comes Ford, across. who is always the guy that's like, oh, we'll just slap some, you know, something or other together at the last minute and it'll work. Mm-hmm, is like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a total shot in the dark. I have no idea if this is going to work at all. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So um, just for some of the other Star Trek nerds out there, I was reading that. Um, so Shelby is part of this team who's creating all these defenses potentially against the Borg. And I guess the Defy the Borg Squad. <laughs> yeah, the Borg's Borgologist Squad. Um, <laughs> Hashtag Borg Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the Defiant from DS9 is like this special ship. And that was actually created for the Borg invasion. Mm-hmm. But Event they didn't end up using oh, you're, it. You're tiptoeing around some but. spoilers right now, Marcy. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I think it's interesting that like for those crossover shows, like if you look at the timelines, I guess the Defiance creation happened right around when they knew the Borg were going to come, and so they hmm. were creating the Defiant for oh, that. That's cool. So maybe yeah. Shelby had a hand in creating yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Oh. 
I never thought about that before. That's pretty cool. Yeah, me either. That makes me like her even more. Yeah. (laughs) She was, like, involved in, like, basically making the Federation more defensible. Too bad she's only in this episode and not in the next one. That's too bad. (laughs) (laughs) She just just went to her bunk and slept for the rest of the episode. Well, she was ordered to. That's right. To go take a nap. That would be such, like, a baby thing to do. I'm not coming out of my room. I'm not getting in my way. Fine. stay there. You stay asleep. <laughs> Fight this fatigue. I don't want you to be cranky. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so the Borg are back, and there's going to be trouble. They hail Picard by name. Oh, yeah, because he is not just any life form. Because Riker emailed them all the information they need. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we've got the uh, the moment we see them because it is kind of a while till you actually see the Borg. You forget that like the first half of this episode, uh, it's just all build up, it's which build up, adds to yeah. that creeping dread. It's the yeah. crater. Mister Wolf, dispatch a subspace message to Admiral Hanson. We have engaged the Borg. I just gotta say. This score is not fucking around. No, it is not. <laughs> this is going full Duel of the Fates here. That's a fucking amazing. It gives yeah. me chills even now. I've seen this episode like 400 times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't get a lot of uh, choir, what is it, yeah. Vocal vocalizations in Star Trek score. Yeah, so that... this is true. They hired a freaking boy choir. Coral. <laughs> I think that's the term. Coral. Even coming out of Cameron's crappy speakers, like through the room into his like... <laughs> Just tinny sound coming through <laughs> headphones. Still pretty good. Yeah, Ron Jones did the musical score, and um, as a, another twist of fate, he he did the score for the original uh, Q Who Who episode mm-hmm. where you first see the Borg, mm-hmm. and he decided to add that orchestral chorus vocal piece, and they were like, I don't know about this, and he's like, no, <laughs> the humans are going to die if, like, we don't stop the Borg, we have to have this level of, like, panache. Epicness, yeah. yeah, for sure. And so he decided to add that, but I read that it was a synthetic chorus, Liz. Okay. So, oh, well, it sounds <laughs> like they hired a boy choir, and nothing is scarier than a boy choir <laughs> <laughs> singing, like, no, you know, I know. it's crazy. Dramatic. Um, I had the opportunity to watch the whole episode, parts one and part two, at the Hollywood Theater several years ago because they Whoa. did this for rerun theater. And for those who don't know, Hollywood is like this incredible little nonprofit theater here in Portland. And they, they do these rerun theater nights. And it's basically like, you know, TV shows or movies from the past that people are really nostalgic about. So I'm in this room full of like, half drunk 30 something trekkies <laughs> and this scene happens and everybody just erupts in cheers it was just Aww. so cool <laughs> they were cheering the arrival of the board <laughs> traitors to humanity so uh we hear they fire at the borg a lot and we hear picard say fire at will a lot and every time i keep expecting Riker to turn around and be like what did i do <laughs> oh. i get it <laughs> I, that, that might not even be the first time we've made that joke <laughs> Good one. You know, the ladies don't think so. We, I know they're ignoring as they should. We're like looking at our notes like, what else can we talk about? <laughs> Let's talk about Shelby some more. She's such a hero. She's such an inspiration. Well, here's, here's what I can talk about here. It's not about Shelby. Don't worry. Um, there's um, 
a line that Shelby says where they he she's basically questioning like, oh, I thought they were only interested in technology. And Picard's mm-hmm. like, oh, their priorities seem to have changed. And, you know, up to this point, it's basically just been understood that the Borg are traveling around and integrating technology. They've never really been interested in organic life before now. Yeah, I, I like picked up on that one too, where they had to use that one sentence to kind of rewrite the original Borg storyline from the Q Hugh. Why do I want to keep saying Hugh? <laughs> you know, Liz. No. <laughs> <laughs> Q Who episode uh, where the Borg first arrived. So they kind of had to do a mini rewrite in that like one sentence of the Borg um, basically goals. Right. Yeah. The other thing, though, in this scene that I don't want to forget to mention is Picard loves to fucking hang up on people because he's like, <laughs> shut those board down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. You're going to fire on my ship and kill my crew. <laughs> I've heard that before, Borg. But it is interesting that they like, you know, something's up when they demand to have Picard. They've never acknowledged a single individual person before. Right. Uh, they do start firing on the ship. Uh, they have to evacuate engineering. Jordy, did, did you really have to do that awesome tuck and roll? Yeah, totally I mean, it looks to cool, do the but and roll. come on. He's, yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to commit to the Indiana Jones scene, at least like have him drop his visor on yep. the other side and have to like reach in for it. I thought the same thing. Yeah, he should have tried. His visor should have fallen <laughs> off his face. <laughs> Rob missed, knows. Rob's missed, on board. You missed the point that Marcy was making earlier, though, about this scene and like the shade that Riker throws at Shelby yeah. and then she throws back at him like, the perfect thank you for mansplaining, like, stink eye. <laughs> yeah, it was such a beautiful glare. Like, I know that I've given it thousands of times to people, and I'm like, good job, girl. <laughs> she was good. Uh, that attack left 11 dead and eight people missing on the crew. Mm-hmm. You should maybe see, you know, a person die once in a while, but that's okay. What I was missing from this episode, which I think would have helped the the creeping dread even more, and like at the end, just really made it feel like how high the stakes are. I wanted to see the battle damage. Like the Enterprise keeps getting fucked up for the next couple scenes, and you never really get like you want to see it limping after the board cube at the very end, like barely able to keep up. Sparks and debris flying off the back. That's one thing I could have yeah. wished they would have added in. Well, they well, made this made a was point 1990, so we get the crater. <laughs> look we spent all our money on that crater wasn't it a cool crater well i guess they had 80 visual effects in this episode i mean in general the effects they're about to reach a nebula where that looks fucking fantastic that enterprise looks amazing in the nebula and the cube the board cube looks fucking amazing on like the new remastered version on netflix yeah it was good the cube looks great. You you see that cube and you're like, what the hell are we doing? There's no up. There's no down. What is this? What is this cube? And then the Borg beam aboard and you're like, oh, they're pale dudes. That's uh, a bunch of albinos. <laughs> they're creepy. That's the one thing I like. Look, I appreciate the Cinnabetian fashion and accessories, but like, if you want something super inhuman, I don't know. <laughs> the guy That's- has a, like an implant for his mouth, Cameron. Yeah, the mouth, the mouth guy was creepy, but still, they just look so human. <laughs> they're Biological bodies look human. It's body horror. That's what makes it's it scary. fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> because they look ex- like very similar to us. They have they're completely emotionless. They don't give a fuck if they're going to And gonna, they like, have take a bunch of freaking biomechanical implants. I mean, maybe, maybe once we get more into the mythology of the Borg, if we like find out more that like the Borg is the machine and the human 
looking parts are really just carriers. That might make a little more sense. Right now, it just still feels like a bunch of pale. They should have been a big cool black pit of tar. Tar pit. They <laughs> fucking yeah. <are. laughs> I I guess I don't know what you consider. I mean, I I feel like what's scary is the removal of humanity, which isn't like what we look like. Even it's our culture, it's our thoughts, it's our feelings. They kind of look to me almost similar. I know, like along the same vein as like what's the guy who created the aliens I, from Alien? Geiger, yeah, a little Geiger, Geiger. like yeah. like sort of off like an uncanny valley kind of thing great point don't get me wrong i i like the way they look i think they look cool i love the design it's like i said it's it's reminds me of hellraiser i love cenobites i just doctor who would could get across doctor who very inhuman doctor who who compared to this is like doctor (laughs) (laughs) i get it i get it marcy i get it who's the shoe you guys are into you'll find out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh oh okay doctor who has um, some notoriously some of the worst alien costumes yes, yes, <laughs> that's what it's known for is how shitty its aliens are but so meanwhile it turns out picard has studied his history of uh past enterprise crews and takes a page from the wrath of Khan and hides in a nebula oh, yeah smart nebulas for when your enemy is relentless and you don't know what you're doing yet pretty much buy some time to come up with a plan it is funny how in space to like they don't go into the nebula i mean they could go up and around it i mean it's not 2d so (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah like did they have to leave right by the board cube there was no other direction they could have left in right (laughs) so shelby wants to separate the saucer section as kind of like a backup plan to give the Borg more, more things to shoot at. Mommy wants to try a trial separation, but Daddy does not. Uh, Riker shuts her down, so she doesn't end run around him and goes straight to Picard. I love her little moment where she goes, you never ordered me not to talk to the captain. <laughs> that's that kind of like... Dick, that's a dick move. That's like a little kid thing to say, like, you didn't tell me <laughs> specifically not to do that thing. You didn't say I couldn't not do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That was like the only line of hers that I was like, you're better than that, Shelby. <laughs> well, in this moment, like going around, like even going down to the planet, it was like, okay, you should have told Riker, but wh- whatever. Maybe time was of the essence. Like this is the one time where I'm like, Shelby, that was the wrong move. But on the same hand, if she really believed in her plan and she thought that he was not, not listening to her picard about it exactly yeah but he's, he straight up told her he was going to tell picard she's known him for like a day and a half at this point <laughs> i'm pretty sure she doesn't quite trust him to that level yet <laughs> she knows his reputation i'm just saying like the way that he's acted toward her it doesn't seem outside of the wheelhouse that she wouldn't believe that he was going to go and tell i agree right picard I, right. I wondered if Riker would truly bring up her proposal or not. Like I wasn't, I wasn't sold. <laughs> I think he would, but there's probably a pretty high probability it would have been along the lines of like, well, Shelby had the stupid idea, right, <laughs> right, right. right, yeah. right. So yeah, Shelby wants fair. the the plan to come directly from her. Yeah, but like tossing the saucer off like a frisbee for the board to chase seems like <laughs> <laughs> that is a little riskier than I think is wise. But you know, when it comes to this ship and this crew. You're damned right I play it safe. If you can't make the big decisions, Commander, 
I suggest you make room for someone who can. And then Riker, uh, she leaves and Riker leans over to call in Jordy and is like, Jordy, can you bring up a plasma cutter to get me out of here? Because this tension is thick. <laughs> oh, man. And you missed the part before that where she says, you're in my way. You're in my way. I like how she is not apologetic. I really like that about her because, like, even when she kind of acts like a little baby at the beginning, he says, you didn't tell me not to tell him. She still has, like, got a backbone of steel. And, like, she's, Mm -hmm. like, standing up to him. She's like, deal with it, dude. Like, I want this position and I know more about this than you. And you just need to figure it out. Like, you need to make the big decisions. You can't make a decision about being a captain. How are you going to make a decision about the Borg? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I do like that attitude of, like, look, I'm going to be doing this. So you better learn to deal with it or step (laughs) aside because I'm not changing the way I'm behaving. Right. Right. Part of it, too, is just, like, their dynamic as it stands without even the consideration of whether Riker is going to be a captain or not. It's literally, Mm -hmm. like, she's trying to do a job, and he keeps side-eyeing her about it. And she's like, stop. I need to be able to work because humanity's at stake. (laughs) Well, and what if, like, just imagine what it would be like if he was fully supportive of her. He's like, great, like... Let's do this. How can I help you the most? Like maybe they, w- she would have stayed longer, and Riker would have stayed up with her, and they could have come up with an even better plan, right? Yeah, that like, would just wound up in sex, Marcy. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's great that he's like Shelby he's, would never. Come he's on, giving yeah. her constraints yeah. the way that I think Picard probably gives Riker constraints. I think you know you have to like right. you have to be a team. You can't just be like, let's throw the saucer at him. Like that, that sure. is the point of a foil is to uh, push them harder yes. yeah right i think she has to come up with a better solution than, than the frisbee so then uh picard takes his death walk is he touring the ship before the battle or is he sundowning and he forgot where his room was <laughs> <laughs> yeah no this is more of that creeping creeping dread where you're like shit they are not expecting to live much longer right and then uh, I do, he walks into 10 forward and we get a great Guinan scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love this moment where uh, Guinan tells Picard that, that it's going to be okay. You say that with remarkable assuredness. With experience. When the Borg destroyed my world, my people were scattered throughout the universe. We survived. As will humanity survive. As long as there's a handful of you to keep the spirit alive, you will prevail, even if it takes a millennium. Damn. Yeah, basically, don't worry, even if you all die. (laughs) Yeah, in a millennia, there'll still be some of you running space bars all over town. (laughs) That's what I love about it, because, like, yeah, she tells Picard, like, oh, you won't be destroyed. And Picard's like, looks up, hopefully, like, he's like, oh, oh, do you have some psychic knowledge that we're all going to make it out of this okay? She's like... No, I mean, worst case scenario, there will be a handful of you left. Well, you know, there's a case to be made here that this scene is really, you know, a person who's been through a great deal of trauma and has had her civilization wiped out, explaining that kind of trauma to somebody who's about to go through it, you know, and I think there are some parallels between that and what's going on in the world right now of, you know, people of color are telling us, hey, we've been through this since time immemorial and you need to you need to do what needs to be done and you need to not freak out over it (laughs) you know um well i had some more jokes for the scene liz but uh i guess we'll just skip forward now (laughs) (laughs) 
it's true. Like, just you got to deal with it, and that's life, and bad things happen, and just move forward from that. To be clear, we're not saying the Borg are people of color. No. <laughs> we're trying to destroy the white privilege that is our enterprise. <laughs> Borg lives matter, okay? Whoa. No. No. Uh, there, there is a Borg that is going to destroy our white privilege, hopefully, uh, but it's not. Boy, that's this is a no. weird metaphor. Wait, this no, metaphor no, is that's really not hard. I, this scene that you're right does uh, take on a lot more emotional baggage if you know Guinan's backstories. The emotional heaviness of watching Guinan as a woman of color telling Picard, you know, trying to walk him through the emotional aspects of that. You know, I think it just takes on a certain new resonance given everything that, you know, we know now. Yeah, other level. It's something that you don't get from this episode the first time you watch it if you're a kid because you're just like, you know, there's Borg. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, you're able to kind of sit with that feeling a little bit. And I think it gives the the episode a little bit of more of an emotional resonance even now. Yeah, it's great. Well, and it's it's great that, you know, Whoopi (laughs) Goldberg is in that position because... She is an actual, like, she's a good actress. And so, like, having somebody with those acting chops in that position. Yeah, she's a movie star. I mean, you know, most people go to TV and then they really want to break into movies. And she she had a lot of a lot of clout in Hollywood. And this was, you know, a good choice for her. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, not something, not a route most people take. It's pretty great. Right. Um, All right. So. The Borg board the bridge Borg. to burgle their boss while brandishing bionic bodies. Ooh, nice. Nicely done. That happens. I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> it was pretty good. I'm going to give it to him because, you know. It was pretty good. We, 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 we can give him one thing. All right. Mixed, you get... mixed feelings is about 50% more positive feelings than usual. You so win. I'll take it. You win this round. <laughs> you win this round. Uh, phasers are no good. No no phasers. No phasers aren't working. You got a Riker toss followed by a well, warp hey, toss. hey. hey. Hey, the phasers work on the first one. Worf gets a confirmed kill. Oh, yeah. I I gave him that because I didn't think it was going to work. I've never seen Worf succeed. Hmm. Well, you didn't see him succeed here either. (laughs) Well, he doesn't. He never succeeded at melee attacks, okay? Only distance attacks. Well, he doesn't get thrown as badly as Riker does. And he doesn't get his neck broken and die this time. Yeah, that's true. Ian and I were talking about this while we were, you know, hashing out this episode. And he was like, yeah, I like how they always use Worf for like, like, if you have to prove that somebody's really strong, (laughs) you have them beat up Worf. Right. But I will say to the last episode of this podcast, you need to establish that he is really strong first. We have never actually seen Worf. Be a bad. <laughs> I think I need to like find a recording of like Worf actually wins a fight once because I don't think we've ever seen him win a fight once, Liz. It'll be a seven second clip. In the holodeck yeah. when oh, he's training. Some yeah. fights in DS9. The holodeck Come is on. the only time he's training in DS9, Liz. <laughs> That's like, I'm just saying, he's thousands not, of hours away. He's not ineffectual, though. <laughs> I mean, but he does. He, he kills one. He kills one on the he, bridge. He pauses them for a second. <laughs> <laughs> he kills the one with the weird uh, discman innards on his arm. Uh, discman innards? That's totally what it was on that, that Borg's that, arm. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about a Cenobite from uh, Hellraiser 3. <laughs> one, there, is, there is that Cenobite, yeah. too. One thing we actually get to see, though, is a main crew member literally running to his station. Like, when he gets tossed aside, Worf jumps up 
and runs mm-hmm. back to his tactical station. Like, that's the first time we've seen somebody run. Right. Like, well, yeah, Worf is not phased. Riker gets up and his head's, hair's all disheveled. And he's like, oh, uh, Warp uh, B. <laughs> There's actually, like, a medical person, like, standing next to Riker. Like, are you okay? <laughs> He, he does not look good. No, he doesn't. He looks very dazed. The problem, the problem with me only watching this episode once is that I, the second time through is when I just watched their haircuts. Uh. <laughs> that's right. Oh, speaking of, Shelby has an amazing 80s, too. I think that's part of the reason I like her so much is her very 80s haircut. Mm-hmm. Immediately, I forget if it's Riker or Worf, calm down to O'Brien and say, can you get a lock on Picard? How does O'Brien know what just happened? Is he, like, watching a TV up the bridge all the time? Is that he, what he does he with his downtime? He doesn't need to know what happened. They just say, can you get a lock on Picard? He looks for his his signal. He doesn't need to know mm. what's happening. Yeah. He could be on the bridge for all he... Yeah. yeah. They're, they're asking him to find him. Yeah. Look, to look. Doesn't he need to, like, know where he's looking? Like no. His communicator. He's, he's looking he needs, for uh, the signal on his, his, his communicator. Like, communicator. Okay. Star Trek logic. Nice try, Cameron. <laughs> you just, not, like, got, you just got about Trek this. lawyered. <laughs> yeah. That's another Nerds. good term. You, at least I'm not a nerd. You just got measured of a man. <laughs> Fair. So they decided to send an away team over to save him. Couple questions about this. I'm still not sure why they're able to beam people over onto the board cube so easily. Sure. Like, they can't read Picard's communicator through whatever shields they have, and they can't fire phasers through whatever shields they have, but they can beam people through it. I don't know. Do they just, the yeah. shields just, like, activate where they get shot? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I, and maybe they explained it in the in Q-Who when they beam aboard. I forget. But, I don't know. It just seemed it seemed a little easy. Uh, other question. Why is Crusher on this mission? Because they're rescuing Picard, and they don't know like if what condition he's in, you know. He well, could, that's why you beam him back to the Enterprise attention. to the Med Bay immediately. I don't know; it just seemed weird to have Crusher all phasered up. Do you want to know I, why? I do want to know why, Marcy. <laughs> with that grin because of yours, Gates McFadden was like, "Hey, Crusher's never shot a phaser before. Can I shoot a phaser in this episode?" <laughs> They're like, yeah, sure, you can go onto the board cube with them. <laughs> and for me, when I learned that, I was like, what? Because I thought it was really poignant when she is the first person to see him as a Borg. Because mm-hmm. she's like, his she's got a relationship person. with him. Yeah, yeah. like a yeah. real relationship, like a friendship that's lasted a long time. And when she turns and she's the first person to see him, I was like, oh, of course they had her on the crew or on the away team so that she could be that person. Oh, but no, and I yeah, get emotionally why she's there. And I also get that if she wasn't there, she wouldn't have been in this episode. But but it makes sense that there's a medical person on the away team. Why it has to be the chief. I mean, I Bones know. would always do it, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Bones was like on every Bones away mission ever. But Crusher, there's been plenty of away rescue missions when Crusher was not involved. This is the first time she's been involved. Not the first time. I mean, there was that one where Ray Wise snapped his neck and she was there to... Well, but that wasn't like a rescue mission where they were had to fight their way through baddies. I mean, I feel like it makes sense just in the sense that they obviously take other biological beings and put stuff on them. And so, like, she has to be there in case some weird transplant thing is, like, attaches to someone. Or, I don't know, like, the biological mixed with the cybernetics indicates to me that you need to make sure you have, like, a medical person who knows their shit on that OA team. Because some weird biomechanical thing could happen. (laughs) And she works with data... 
That's fair. I just, I wouldn't hate to throw away a line explaining that. Yeah. To be fair, Marcy, most of what's attached to the Borg is irrigation drip tubing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really nice turtleneck sweaters. So, you yeah, know, jumpsuit. unless she's a landscaping expert, you know. <laughs> I like that Troy calls out Riker when they right before they beam on. Troy is the one that tells Riker he shouldn't go, which is oh yeah, because he wants to lead this away mission, and Deanna has to tell him that his place is on the bridge, and he should let Shelby do it. Shelby, by the way, leaves the bridge and like kind of gives Deanna a like thank you look, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of a callback again to Riker's always telling Picard that he can't go right. on an away mission, and so finally, like. Riker, even though he still glares at Shelby, I'm like, look, like, Deanna's right. You can't go on this mission. And, like, Shelby is the person for it. She knows the most about the Borg. Like, it's interesting. It's a good callback to those scenes where he's Mm -hmm. always been like, Picard, you can't go on this mission. Mm -hmm. And I like that Deanna's the one that tells him because I don't think he would have listened to anyone else except Deanna. And this is where she calls him Commander Riker for the first time to give him that sense of, I respect you. This is your position now. You need to take on the mantle of captain. Yes. Mm -hmm. It is Crusher that thinks that they could be a mosquito and cross their beams to destroy the uh, (laughs) little pyramids. So that was good that Crusher was there to help with that. Little pyramids. Also, when we see that, we find out that the the Borg buy their ship materials from Home Depot because there's some some ducting I'm pretty sure I've seen down aisle seven up there. <laughs> sure. They find Picard's clothes, so Picard's naked somewhere. That's yeah. great. In a Borg <laughs> drawer? Drawer? A, Bo- a Borg drawer? Sure. Yeah. That just sort rolls of off to, the tongue. To put all their, all their turtleneck sweaters into. And again, mm-hmm. here's that moment of dread, man. I mean, you're nervous, but now you're like really fucking nervous. Like, what I might happened see to Picard's Picard? ween? He's naked out Cameron. there somewhere. No, this is where we're oh. getting serious about this episode. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I, the, the drawer thing I did think was a little silly. I, I really? They that. had drawers that they opened up to see Borg babies but, in the yeah, library. Yeah, there were Borg drawers. babies, and here they're like, <laughs> yeah, you might want this later, Picard. We're going to put this in the drawer for you. Mm. What you fail to realize, Cameron, is that the entire ship is made of drawers. <laughs> <laughs> the entire ship is just drawers. That's, That's why it's their secret. That's yeah. the Borg secret. Yeah, it's basically just a giant Ikea cube. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, I assume they're like incinerators or something that's going to like break down the, the uniform and reincorporate into something. But it looked a lot like a drawer. <laughs> they start fighting some Borg. They kill quite a few. Yeah, they do. They do pretty good. Crush takes and, out a couple. Yeah. And then they adapt. And then we see. Dun, dun, dun. Sean There he is. Oh, no. And I wished it wasn't. Instead of the cutest, I thought they should have just been like, I am Jean-Luc. Borg. (laughs) So at this point, he's not fully Borged out, right? He's just got like the turtleneck and a little bit of irrigation tubing here and there, and the Borg abs. Yeah. Well, and the the amazing Borg laser that he keeps shining directly uh, into the camera. Yep, exactly. Yes, but why do the Borg need abs? Does he have Borg abs? He has Borg abs. (laughs) Borg abs. You could grate cheese on these abs. <laughs> how, ma- how many packs is it? It is definitely six-pack abs. They have given okay. him a six-pack, plastic six-pack. Um, well, so it's not so bad becoming a Borg then. Hashtag Borg abs, right? Borg abs. <laughs> so this is going to be my new company. 
It's my uh-huh. fitness company. I show up at your house. I provide you <laughs> with a set of plastic abs you did nothing to achieve, and then I leave, and you give me money. <laughs> I think you're gonna rake in the bucks here. Borg abs. We've got Borgologist, and we coined something else in this. That's too. right. We're not gonna all... be trending all over Twitter once this episode drops. Hashtag not all men. <laughs> Hashtag um, Borg lives matter. Well, they... I, I personally think it is like, oh, these guys don't look like me at all. <laughs> like <laughs> these guys are something different about these people. It's their abs. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my theory: is so they name him Locutus, which is Latin for. Hold on. I knew it had to mean something. <laughs> He who has spoken. So Locutus means he who has spoken. And they're like, obviously, they've also looked up Roman history where they used to (laughs) create those like, um, you know, metal... Mm-hmm. Uh, breastplates. Breastplates. That's what I was ab plates. for. Yeah, ab plates. So they're <laughs> like, you know, that's part of human history. Everybody's got to have an ab plate. <laughs> so when you, well, the fact that Picard's name Locutus means that I think when they assimilated him, they absorbed his nerdiness. And so, like, <laughs> exactly. he must have picked his own goddamn name. That he has at least enough self determination to have given himself a Roman name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Idea. If, if Guinan knows Jafargar Square, what? Which battle? No. Some know. battle. The Borg can know. Look, I don't know. Well, <laughs> what if underneath the turtleneck, he doesn't have skin over the abs. It's just like muscle meat under there, Liz. Ew, so that's, why you, very that's why you see the abs because there's like no skin or fat because they've like removed all oh, the unnecessary that's... bits. Man. Cameron, I'm going to be a Borg now. That the, the Borg knowing Roman and uh, Guinan knowing this battle, what do they both have in common? They both have Picard there. I mean, I'm sure Picard <laughs> has told Guinan and the entire ship all human history on Earth, <laughs> especially when he's drunk on Ten Forward. Like, I'm sure she knows the battle because that's Picard's a good point, Rob. That's that's <laughs> fair. That's very fair. That was like Touché. the first thing he did when he got assimilated. It was like, okay, guys. Hold up. Tell you, I got some history <laughs> to lay on you, Borg. I just like the concept of like Picard doing drunk history. That would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. That'd be good. That'd be good. <laughs> so the Borg beat them back by blocking their blasters with biotics. Ooh. The captain has been altered by the Borg. Altered? He is a Borg. He is a Borg. <laughs> Where's fucking crying, guys? Did you I hear know. the I just like, see choke him in his there. throat? He's a Borg. Borg. He's a Borg. You thought he was crying? I thought he was pouting. No, it sounds like he's like super emotionally upset in his face. You up. can see yeah, it. He's like choked up. he's choked up, man. That is like the it's disturbing. first time you've seen Worf like not enraged by something bad happening, but like really emotionally upset about it. Yeah. Picard is basically dad. Yeah, and Worf was the one that tried to save him. Worf was like, ran through all the Borg, and he's like trying to get Picard, he did, but can't. Yeah. He got close. Mm-hmm. He's like, take me, make me Warg. He wanted those abs. So Jordy at this point points out that the Borg are regenerating, and they could go back to warp oh, at any time. Um, oh, shit. Also, the uh, weapon they've been building with their deflector dish is ready to be deployed. Yep. Um, Riker votes that. So this is a major decision point for Riker and Shelby. And they ironically, are headed to Earth. Let's not forget they are headed to 
Earth of all places. Yes, they're heading to Earth. Sec- sector 001, the Terran the system. The Terran sector. Yes. So anyway, Riker is super excited about <laughs> deploying this deflector dish weapon against the Borg. Not excited. The seat will He's- be mine. The captain's chair. <laughs> He's convinced they don't have enough time to go back aboard the ship and rescue mm-hmm. Picard and et cetera, et cetera. Shelby, on the other hand, is like, I think we need to contact Admiral Hansen here. We need some guidance. We probably need to go back aboard and save him. Riker's like, there's no time. So, you know, ironically, their roles have shifted here. Picard or oh. Riker is the one that is making a um, decision, decision. A captain's choice. Yeah, yeah. A very executive time-based decision um and shelby is the one that's trying to play it safe so yeah very astute yeah 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 not what you expected from watching their roles throughout the episode which right i really enjoyed i thought that was a good turn of what a twist what a twist (laughs) and that like you see her because i think they're kind of trying to portray her as being like a little bit of not obnoxious because we all are supposed to like Riker more because he's the main crew member. But in this moment, I feel like you suddenly see them as more of a team and like he's the captain, you know, and he makes that captain's decision. So, and then this is the uh, end of the series. That's all they made. So, well, you get <laughs> let's let's hear some Locutus. I mean, oh, Locutus does, yeah. I am Locutus of Borg Resistance. Is futile. It's like intense when you see that and they see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In particular, he says, Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. And you get the laser right when he says us. The laser, <laughs> yeah. Good. There's a lot of geeking out about the laser online. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were like, That's fair. It's we hard, were it's hard do not this to notice. In a very, like, you know, highly technological way, and then we went to the hardware store and got like a twenty dollars laser. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is a very uh, yeah lo-fi effect, mm-hmm. but uh, I like it. It works. So, people who watched this back in the day and remember, because I watch it now, I know I know both that Picard will be okay and that he will be forever scarred by this, and it will uh, you know play into the movies and the new show even. And I don't have to wait a summer to watch the next episode. I'm going to go watch it here uh, as soon as we hang up. So do any of you remember watching it back when it first aired and having to wait that summer? And what was your reaction? I do. So um, when this first aired, it was 1990, um, which would have put me about roughly seven years old. Um, Blessing a little good vibrations to really put us in the mood. Good vibrations. <laughs> Yo, feel it. Feel it. That time um, anyway. Forward, the rhythm of the ride. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I know that song by heart, actually. From <laughs> ah. Anyway, this was the talk of the town. The town being Fairbanks, Alaska, where there was not a lot <laughs> wow. going on. But anyway, this cliffhanger was something that everybody was, especially like at school. If you're like a seven-year-old k- kid at school, like everybody's talking about the Borg, right? Really? Um, oh, interesting. You know, I don't know why this would never hit my radar. I, I Yeah, it hit my radar like... Valdez was just a much more happening place, I guess. We had important things to talk about in Valdez, Alaska. I know. Man, an otter swam through the boat harbor and the, the town was abuzz that week. So Okay, well, I'm not going to spoil anything about the second part for you, Cam. But no. what I will say dies. is that um, my father knew that the Borg were the talk of the town. 
Um, he also knew in September of 1990, when the second part of this episode aired, that kids would have talked about this episode basically all summer. And by September, it's starting to get really dark out, you know? So there's like this atmospheric thing going into the second episode. You've already been like dissecting everything about the Borg for a summer. It's dark outside. It's kind of getting cold a little bit. And so we sat down in September of 1990 to watch the second part of this episode. And as soon as the Borg cube shows up, there's this like tapping <laughs> against the window. My father... I I liked your dad so much. <laughs> my father, genius that he is, had gone to the garage, gotten an old milk crate, attached it to a broomstick, and was tapping it on our glass window pane. <laughs> Nearly gave me a goddamn heart attack. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Next time I see your father, I am shaking that man's hand. <laughs> and that's not even his worst prank. Oh, my God. I have so many more <laughs> stories. But anyway. That's hilarious. So what did you do? Did you, like, jump and scream? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah, like- we, like, we were, like, eight, you know? I had, like, friends over, I think. And, like, everybody was just freaking out. They were like, oh, my God, there's Borg outside, you know? It was really tiny Borg. It was very, was worse. very poignant moment in my childhood. That's hilarious. That's great. Then you'll never forget it, though, because he scared you in that moment. So now you have that visceral memory. And that, dear friends, is why I called the best of both worlds on this podcast years ago. <laughs> That's funny. I have the same story. The same thing happened to me. <laughs> Liz's dad put a milk mm-hmm. crate outside your window? Yeah, Weird. That's right. Oh. He yeah. was a busy man that night. Uh, so yes, this was a very impactful episode. Uh, I'm glad we finally made it. I'm glad to be able to watch it and talk about it with you guys. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm going to rate it. Let's rate it. Um, you know, they have to destroy 78%. Uh, so oh, I think we have to This is going to involve too much the, math already. No, no, just choose the amount of Borg ship you want to destroy. So 100 <laughs> is, you know, we're basically just adding a zero okay. to your right. 1 through 10 yeah. score. I mean, you know, 100, you want to destroy 100% of the Borg ship, or uh, in my case... 95% of the Borg ship. I'm going real high on this one, but I'm mm-hmm. not, not a full 10 because I think there's a couple little, I am, I think they, maybe the next part might be better. Well, it's, it's hard to, to rate a, you know, a part one of an episode. There's it's no conclusion great, to it. Yeah. It's, it's as a cliffhanger episode of television, top notch, number one, 95% of the ship. I was going to say exact same thing. 95%. Yeah, this is hard one because like I'm between ninety five percent and a hundred. Ninety seven point five. That's what that is. If well, it's one of your favorite episodes of the of the series, then it should be you know. A, a yeah, because well, Cam's right. Like I think as a two parter, it's definitely a hundred percent of the board ship. Mm-hmm. Do ninety five here and then a hundred and five for the next one, so it evens okay. out. Okay, oh, there okay, there you go. it definitely I mean it definitely feels like we are stepping up a notch and I'm sure they threw a lot more money at this episode but I mean the writing the acting everything is just humming along nicely with this episode the freaking crater (laughs) except for for that fucking they were not in the center of town O'Brien get your shit together (laughs) oh god it's completely impossible for me to rate this because I'm so emotionally attached to it. <laughs> yeah. Ten, good. 10 Shelbys out of, <laughs> I don't know, 10 craters. <laughs> yeah. It's a 10 crater, 10 crater score for you. Yeah, you know. That's right. Well, 
If you have any uh, stories you want to share about your time watching this episode or talking about for the uh, the summer of 1990, come on to our Facebook.com slash Greenshirt or at Greenshirt87 would be our Twitter. You can tweet us there. And then at Greenshirt Podcast on Instagram. What's the next episode, Marcy? Yeah, what's um, the next episode? <laughs> Best of both planets. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So what? What? I mean, I'm get. I'm, I I can only assume that they blow up the Borg ship and Riker assumes command of the Enterprise. That's what happens, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, they've been building us up. First, they killed Data, but he wasn't really dead. Then they killed Worf, but they brought him back to life. So they've been building us up to accepting <laughs> Picard's death. I still can't get over that they broke Worf's neck in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> He had uh, a near-death, I mean, a full-death experience. That He has to be a changed Klingon now. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. They just brushed over that plot point. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> okay, my, my, my real prediction for part two is that Shelby becomes seven of nine, and then they just recast her later. Aww. Is that what happens? Ooh, yeah. Interesting. No. Oh, man, I'm so bummed out that I won't be on the second half, but I'm really excited about like what Brandon will have to say. Tune in uh, two weeks from now to hear, yes, Brandon and us talk about The Best of Both Worlds, part two. In season four! Congratulations, everyone, for three seasons of Green Shirt. We made it. We made it. (laughs) Woo! I've only been on three episodes, so I'm not as tired as you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night. Bye. Mr. Worf. Fire. Fire.